start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're vital. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swenson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. As an entertainment journalist, Felicia Pride wrote several books, including a YA novel, as well as a collection of essays in The Message, 100 Life Lessons from Hip-Hop's Greatest Songs. In addition to her written work, she taught freshman comp for a decade, opened and closed a consulting business, worked for a film distribution executive, and was selected as a film independent screenwriting fellow. Currently, her screenwriting credits include The End Again, Really Love, and an episode of Queen Sugar. In this exclusive interview, Pride discusses source material, black female directors, gaps in the market, writing for micro audiences, and how to have a business mind in a creative world. A print version of this conversation is available on Creative Screenwriting's website, and if you enjoyed this interview, join thousands of viewers for the new YouTube series, also called Creative Principle, where we dissect new films, series, and more. Um, for instance, in college, I had a professor, Professor DeCrane, uh, who encouraged me. I had wrote an essay, and she loved it and submitted to contests, and she she encouraged me to major in English, or at least minor in English. But at that time, I didn't really see that as a career option. Uh, so I was like, uh, and I just kind of maintained with the uh, quote-unquote practical side of me and continued with my business degree. And I did that, graduated school, um, and worked worked in corporate America. And then I was bored. <laughs> and I was looking for some way to express myself. I had like all this, you know, early adult angst that I kind of had to get out and daddy issues and all these things. So I actually started with writing poetry, really bad poetry, actually. Um, but at the time, like the internet was kind of, this was like 2001, um, allowed me to post poetry in like these um, forums and I was getting feedback on my work. And I really, there was something about people reading my work and, and sort of the validation of my voice and my experience that really, really attracted me. Um, and then I started to remember my first sort of, uh, in, it was an internship, even though I had graduated from college, where I was able to work for a newspaper. And I remember the first time my first piece was published and seeing my name also kind of just validated my experience. And that led me to more freelance journalism. Um, and it wasn't until probably after I went back to school, I went to Emerson and studied writing and publishing that I really got into um, a different type of storytelling, because a lot of my journalism still was like profiles and there was a storytelling of a certain type. But I got into fiction um, and I transitioned into writing books. And I think that is where I was really captivated by the 
um, possibility of infusing imagination and um, mixing experiences um, into fiction and books and all of that. Um, and then that's what led me to then screenwriting, where it was like for me as a form, it was the taking the economics of journalism from a writing standpoint and a word standpoint and the imagination of fiction and blending them together. And I fell in love. So in some of my recent interviews, I've noticed this over the last few years, a lot, a lot um, of writers these days talk more about, I guess, being entrepreneurial a bit, um, you know, being a producer as well, or pushing a, a script forward or looking for a script to adapt and things like that. How is, it sounds like you have that spirit as well. How has that kind of helped you um, with your move into screenwriting? Absolutely. Because um, there was actually a time where I stopped writing. So after I wrote some books, um, it kind of dried up for me, publishing dried up. And also what happened was I stopped writing, even though it was getting tough to financially, that writing, it was tough for writing to financially support me. I made the fatal mistake of, yes, I had to get a job, but I should have kept writing even while I was working at this job, but I got a job and I stopped writing. Um, and then I eventually opened up my own consultancy and I was not writing and I was doing marketing for a uh, media project. So I was helping other creatives and creative companies to connect their projects with audiences because I part of me does still enjoy being of service. Um, but it was also a distraction. It was also me being fearful. It was also me sort of running away from uh, what I was supposed to be doing. But because I had this marketing degree, because I always had this practical side, um, I, I do think of audience, even when my own projects and when I'm, you know, thinking about what I want to write, thinking about the marketplace, thinking about what is going to sell. Um, when I first moved to L.A. about four years ago, I actually worked in film distribution. So I think about um, what types of films sell, what type of budget levels, all of that stuff. And I, for me, it aids in the business aspect of it. I do think that there still has to be a separation because even when I have projects and, you know, your agents or the marketplace will tell you that you can't do it, um, there's still that the artist in me, but also like the, and when I say the artist in me, we have to be a little ridiculous in order to even pursue art. So the ridiculous side of me says, okay, that's fine. I appreciate your marketplace opinion, but I'm going to still push forward with this project because I believe in it that much. So it's a nice balance between understanding the market and understanding what sells, but then also leaning back into my artist self and being like, yeah, I still need to make this happen. Um, and that was sort of the case with uh, the feature really love, um, which started, I wrote that first draft 10 years ago, had no idea how to make a movie. I was still living on the East coast, Baltimore. And in fact, and so the ridiculous artist in me believed that this movie could be made, pushed forward for 10 years, finally found, uh, the director, Angel Christy Williams, we got together and we, um, you know, believe so much in it, believe that we could sell this project and that's what we did and we were able to sell it to Macro. So I think that there is something to be said, but also being smart about who would like this project, um, who needs a project like this. So it's it's been a nice balance for me. Do you do any, like, as far as entrepreneurial, um, a lot of smaller companies may go and look for like a, you know, they call it a, a tribe or community that's already there. Are you looking at, at possible audiences and, and adapting? Like, how, how might you adapt a story somewhat to kind of appease an audience to some degree without, without losing your you know, personal aspects of the story? Yeah, I mean, I, do, I definitely think about audience. Um, I don't know if I 
think about it specifically in that way. For instance, one of the things that I'm really interested in is book adaptations because of my own writing of books and the time that I spent working in book publishing. And what I've noticed is that there seems to be, I, I look for gaps, right? I look for audiences like micro audiences within macro audiences that are not being served, right? So for me, one of the audiences that I feel like could use more content is Gen X. Um, I think that there's a lot of, particularly in um, like for black audiences, I think that there's a lot of wonderful content for millennials. If you think about like a dear white people and the insecure but I do think that there's space for more Gen X stories. So that's something that I'm very, very interested in, this very specific subset that has a slightly different experience, slightly different perspective, slightly different wants and needs and desires. Um, so that's kind of what I think about is, is who may not be being served. Um, when you're thinking about, you know, really new stories for, for groups that are not really told to as much, are you also considering the way the platforms are changing in terms of streaming services, online services? Are you, you know, thinking like, well, are they better? Are you know, are they more likely to watch a YouTube series versus something else? Are you thinking of it in that sense as well? Absolutely. I think about you know, and I even think about uh, form, right? Because I have written across forms, I think about what form is going to serve this story, number one, right? So is this story, is this a book? Is this a book that we can adapt for screen? Is this a miniseries? Is this a feature? Is this, um, and so I think about that first. And then, you know, when we start to think about, you know, the quote unquote, the distributor of the platform, thinking about what they who their audiences are, and of course, like you said, how their audiences engage with that content, how that content is made available, and then also, um, you know, what they specifically buy and tend to buy. Um, I mean, Netflix is getting is so big that they're they kind of seem like they buy everything, but you know the difference between like a HBO and a Showtime or you know an NBC and um, a Netflix. So thinking about it from that perspective too. So it sounds like you, you read a lot and you're looking for things to adapt as well. Um, I was, I was in an article by variety, um, black filmmakers make history in 2018, but female directors still shut out. The highlights of the article are that, you know, black Panther, black Klansman and Creed two did really well for, for black directors, male black directors, um, and these are also obviously either adaptations or sequels. So how might you encourage um, maybe upcoming black female directors to, to find things to adapt or to put their personal touch on something that might be more marketable in that sense? Absolutely. I mean, I think that we're starting, because what I think is interesting is that Hollywood has definitely started to, even before like a Black Panther, they were snapping up, snatching up, uh, books by black authors about or about the black experience, but I don't think that they were matching it with the right people who could bring it to screen. So now I think they're getting a little bit better with understanding the nuances of how to adapt such a property and connecting with the right collaborators with that. Um, and so I think that now it's it's opening up where um, black female directors, and I hope to be one of them, can, you know, be thought about for those properties. But then on the flip side, having us 
be proactive about going after properties. And that's one thing that I've really been interested in is um, being able to do that. It's, it is hard because, you know, sometimes uh, rights owners want more money than you have, especially if you're trying to option something independently, but trying to be really creative about going after properties, as well as properties that may have been optioned and years ago, again, by Hollywood, and they were unable to bring it to screen, and then you coming in with a fresh perspective um, um, with a property whose you know rights may have reverted. So I think there's, there's de- it's definitely opening up. Um, and it's, I think it's also us also understanding how much Hollywood just loves source material. <laughs> like they do, you know, it's like the, uh, something physical in their hand, they just feel better, you know? Um, so, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm 30. So I grew up, you know, in the nineties, really enjoying the, the freedom that screenwriters had then. And now it does seem to be, um, uh, mostly adaptations and that kind of thing. So in your in your TED talk, uh, one of the quotes you said was riveting characters sitting next to us or in our families if we give them the respect they deserve. Can you kind of talk about how how someone might take an adaptation and still kind of make it their own and put their own spin on characters and then also how you kind of start to create characters as well? Yeah, you know, adaptations are um they are tricky because sometimes they seem they they seem deceivingly easy because you already have characters and worlds that have been created and are developed. And then so there's also like the push and pull of wanting to stay true to the, those those particularly well loved properties, right? And and books. But then there's also, you know, you see opportunities to either open up the world or, or change characters or um, contemporary, make it more contemporary or all just breathe your own vision into it. So it can be tricky. Um, but I do think that it's important to do what's best to serve the story and, and the story in connection with how the story will be um, experienced. So a book experience, of course, is very different than a TV experience or a film experience. And so you have to adapt the story for that while also trying to make sure that it it still is quote unquote riveting. And I think that it's, it's tricky. It seems easier than it is. Um, but I do love the fact that when I think about books to possibly adapt, I'm looking at a few things. One is world, right? So it may be the world that I love, that this is a world I haven't seen. This is a world that hasn't been seen on screen. And I really love that. And I want to dive into that. Or it's like, these are characters that I just have never seen before. And I want to dive into that. Or maybe it's a theme. So sometimes it's an aspect of a of a source material that you really want to delve into and expand and and change or whatever the case is. What kind of habits do you have between projects? Like you mentioned, um, kind of sitting next to family members and, and writing characters. Do you do you journal? Do you have a note system? How do you start to develop those like nuggets of a character or a story? I use one of my organizing systems from a real practical standpoint is Trello. I love Trello. Like my whole life is in Trello. Um, but it allows you to do a lot of different types of organizing. So I like to keep um, lists for each project and just have a tab or what they call a card for just ideas. 
you know, things that I'm thinking about. I also like to have visual ideas as well, like um, things that just hit me or strike me that's related to this project. Um, and I also try to have a system of of how I can keep projects moving forward, multiple projects moving forward. So I try to always be actively writing a project, actively rewriting a project, actively developing a project, and then either polishing or pitching. And that came from um, a, a teacher I had at Script Anatomy. His name was Kevin Townsley, who used this um, system to keep projects moving forward. And I thought that was great. Um, and so when I'm in the development stage of things, it's a lot of research typically. It's a lot of um, just idea jotting and and then going back over and looking at those things. And then I um, you know, move on to like character sketches and thinking about um, beats and and then going into like a more formal formalized outline type of situation. It sounds uh, very business-minded. Do you ever have moments where you're not feeling creative? Do you have it scheduled to like, well, the next, you know, two hours I'm, I'm developing this scene and then you, you know, do it no matter what? Or how do you kind of fight possible procrastination or something like that? Yeah, I, ha- I definitely suffer from procrastination. I think we all do. Um, but for the most part, I've gotten to a point that I have a really healthy relationship with the work um, that I don't need motivation to get started really. I just, I'm so excited and it may sound cliche, but I just have an urgency because there's so many stories that I want to tell that I don't really need motivation to write anymore. And that's also because I stopped writing for so long. I know what it is not to write and I don't, I have no urge to go back to that, that place. Um, but when I'm procrastinating, then I try to read. That's one of the things that does help me. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm not writing right now. I don't, I'm tired or whatever the case is. Reading is always a great go-to for me when I'm feeling like I need some inspiration. I can't get this page now. And then also just stopping and sleeping, you know, or like going for a walk, like, you know, understanding that it ebbs and flows, but at the end of the day, it's going to get done. I think that's also having the faith in that it's going to get done. I think that what helps with that is actually finishing projects because you know, okay, I've, I've, I have a track record of finishing projects, so I know this is going to get done. I made this today may not be as quote unquote productive as I'd like, but it's going to get done. So, Well, I think we're uh, kind of coming up on time. I'd love to hear about the, the current projects you're working on, what you like to promote, and then we'll kind of get into any advice you might have for upcoming screenwriters and directors. I am working on a new feature that I'm really excited about. Um, so I'm in the the drafting stages of that. Um, and it's a really personal story. It's inspired by my mother and my sister and my niece. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, I'm also actively always looking for source material to adapt for different things. So I'm developing a few um like on my own projects that I'm really just um, that I love and that I'm interested in. Um, And then there is um, 
I, I still feel like I may have a book left in me. I, I, at one point, I was like, I don't have any more books. But I do think that I have a book left in me that would be about um, my father and his side of the family. And it, it would go into, like, the history the history of, of Baltimore in a lot of ways. So um, there's that kind of lingering. But, um, yeah, so those are some of the projects I'm excited about. And then also I run a service called The Create Daily, which – I've been doing this since 2012. I just send an email. Um, it used to be daily. Now I send it weekly of just opportunities for writers and storytellers. It's a free email. I just put it together and send it. And um, so that's like my service piece that I just, I feel like it's hard for us sometimes as creatives. So um, that's something that I try to do as as to help the, help us as a community. Um, and advice, I mean, I, I kind of consider myself very much still up and coming. I'm a perpetual student. Um, but I do think that one thing that I've been, has been groundbreaking for me is that relationship with the work and um, really creating a, a pure relationship with the work because the work is from which everything springs, joy, creativity, freedom, money. Um, and so when we have, because I, I know how it is to have a sort of dysfunctional relationship with the work or put too much pressure on the work or make it have to financially support you and all of these things. But stripping all of those away and, and having just a healthy relationship has really opened up things for me. Um, so that's what I would say. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.